Check, check, make sure it's on. Hello, hello, hello. It is good morning. Glad you're here this morning. I hope you've had a really good weekend um, so far and uh, excited to open God's Word with you this morning. So turn to Exodus chapter 16 if you have a Bible or a device. Now, I'm going to tell you, most of the verses this morning are going to be up on the screen as well, but it's going to be kind of a verse by verse. We're going to walk through some text this morning, and I hope that'll be encouraging to you. But if you want to get a big picture, then use your own Bible, and I think that'll help you to see the things that we're doing here this morning. This is going to be fun as we do it. Um, How many of you know someone who just complains all the time? Or how many of you came to church with someone this morning who complains all the time? Or maybe you are the person that complains all the time. There is one thing that we seem to know how to do really well without any coaching, without any instruction, without anyone telling us, hey, here's how you complain. We can complain pretty well on our own without much help from anybody else. So Dean's been walking us through this story of the Israelites leaving Egypt, moving toward the promised land and talking about leaving from slavery to a land of promise. And we've walked through certain parts already. Today we get to the place where they have just come out of the ten plagues. They have just come through the Red Sea. They've come into the wilderness. They've come past this oasis in the desert and they find themselves now out into the wilderness for kind of the first time on their own. And what's the first thing they start to do? They start to grumble. They start to complain how things aren't the way that they want them to be. And what's interesting is they don't necessarily grumble about things that are happening. They grumble about, best we can tell, something that could potentially happen. They may starve to death, and so that's causing them, even when they may have food in the moment, that's causing them to be upset and to want to grumble against the Lord. So before we enter God's Word this morning, let's pray together, and then we'll open up the text together. God, I am grateful for this morning, and I pray that for the next few minutes as we open your word and dig into it, that you will help us to see what you want us to see and learn what you want us to learn, and that you'll be glorified in everything that we do. It's through Jesus that I pray. Amen. All right, so Exodus chapter 16. As we look at this and look at this verse 1, you're going to notice that it talks about coming from a land of Elam and that they have come out of this oasis in the desert. But I want you to know something, that so far everything that's happened to the Israelites has been a gift from God. They've not had to do anything. So the ten plagues that happened in Egypt that brought this country to, an, to its knees and the, let the Israelites leave this country, they didn't do that. God did all of that. The parting the Red Sea where they could walk through on dry land, they didn't do that. That's something that God did by His power and His own might and His way. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that was there, the cloud by day to shield them but to guide them, the fire at night to guide them but also provide warmth, that was not something they did. That's something that God did. He was the one that was doing this, providing gift after gift to the Israelites to where they can just do kind of what God told Moses to tell them in Exodus 14. Sit back and watch the wonder of the Lord or the work of the Lord take place and see the salvation of the Lord. So when we talk about God doing things that we don't do much on our own, doesn't that sound kind of familiar? Doesn't that sound, if you stop and think about it, a lot like salvation? Doesn't that sound like what Paul is talking about when he says, it's by grace you've been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast? And you see God being the same God in the Old Testament thousands of years ago that God is today and the salvation that we have through Him. So if you look at chapter 16, they've just come from chapter 15, 
that was this time of praise, this time of celebration, this time of honoring and worshiping God because of what He had just brought them through. And now the praise turns to panic, and the worship turns to worry, and they start looking around, and they realize that they're going to be hungry before long, and they don't see food. And you would think, and I'm, I, I wasn't there, neither were you, you would think after seeing those incredible works of power by God that we have evidence of, that we have the writings of, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, that they would say, I've just seen all these things God has done, and I'm pretty sure He's going to take care of my next meal. I, I think He's got this. This is pretty easy compared to some of the things that He has just done, but they didn't see that. In fact, they looked, and after these 30 days, because that's probably about 30 days since they left Egypt, some of their own goods, some of their own supplies are starting to dwindle down and reach in, and they look around, and they're in a wilderness where there is not food provided for them, and so they start looking at the things that are not, and they forget about the things that are. And it's kind of this principle right here. We often forget what we should remember, and we remember what we should forget. We're that way as humans. There are things that God has placed into our life that we ought to remember and that we forget about those things. The goodness of God in your life all the time. The presence of God in your life. The faithfulness that God has been with you every day of your life so far. He has never not been faithful, and yet we tend to forget that. And we start wondering, I don't know if God can handle this situation that I'm in right now or not. We remember the things that we should forget, the things that we hold on to, the things that have no place in our life, we remember those things, and yet we forget the things that we should remember. Just a principle I want to kind of tell you there as we kind of begin this time. So let's look at verse 1 together. So you realize that as you look at this, they, they set out from Elam. So Elam was that oasis that I mentioned earlier, and they came to the desert of sin. Now, don't think of that term as a kind of description of what's happening here. This is a geographical reference. This is telling us a place where they are, and you can find that out by looking at the next little section. It says they came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And the first three letters of Sinai, S-I-N, pronounced more likely Sin. So they came to the desert of Sin, or that they were there in, and that's where they were. It's probably that kind of western part of that Sinai Peninsula where they kind of, we believe they kind of entered the wilderness for the first time. But can I just say that as someone who wants to teach the Word of God well, I really wish that I could talk about the desert of sin today. Because wouldn't it be great if I could come up and say, if you find yourself in the desert of sin today, God has the answer for you. And that would be a great sermon. But I don't get to preach it today, so we'll just keep on going with what the text says. So, they came from the desert to the desert of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. It's been about a month, if you go back and look at Exodus chapter 12, that they have been in the desert or been out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So take that for a second. Again, we're going to walk through this verse by verse. So if you get distracted easily, whatever, then focus in as we spend some time just really walking through verse by verse this morning. But they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So tuck that away for a second. We'll come back to it in just a moment. Thinking about that continues on. Verse 3, the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. So the place they find themselves in right now is so desperate, evidently, so dire, so troubling that they said, if we could have just died earlier, we wouldn't have to worry about all this. 
And I just got to say, I would make a horrible Moses because I would say, yeah, that should have happened. I wish you would have died back there because you wouldn't be complaining against me right now. Like Moses, he looks at that and he says, amen, if you'd only died back there before when you were in Egypt. And you look at what Moses has said and what Aaron is dealing with. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. They're complaining. They're grumbling. And God has been so faithful, and yet they are finding the things that are not or the things that they believe are not to complain about. And I believe it's actually an issue for us as well. I think we can look at them and say, how horrible it is that they would complain. And they had so many things that God had just done, shown them thing after thing. It's like, look at all the stuff God has done. And then they find reasons to complain and to gripe and to bellyache and to whine and to carry on and on and on. So when you complain, someone has said one time that when you complain, you say things to other people or complain about things in your life. 80% of the people that you tell don't care. And the other 20% are probably kind of glad that something bad is happening to you. And don't know if those statistics are true or not, but when you think about complaining, it really doesn't do anything for us. It doesn't benefit us at all. It doesn't benefit the person that we're around. It definitely doesn't make us a positive person. It doesn't help us carry on the love of God and the enthusiasm of God and the love of God with the things that we do in our life. But yet we complain. And don't we complain? Oh, the weather. It is so hot. It was the hottest summer. It burned up. Oh, it's freezing inside. It's so cold. It's so cold outside. It hasn't rained in so long. I can't believe it won't stop raining. When is this rain ever going to stop? The traffic around here is horrible. These college kids, they don't learn how to drive before they move to Bryan College Station. Why can't people learn to drive in our town? We keep going on and on. My boss is a bad boss. The people I work with are so annoying. The teacher at my school, you would not understand what a bad teacher she is. She doesn't teach me anything. She's the reason I'm failing this class right now as well. The people I go to school with are um, annoying. I don't like the refs. They are absolutely blind, and they are idiots, and they can't call a game if, they, if their life depended on it. I could keep going. It's too cold in the auditorium. The little communion cups are too hard to open. I can't get it. I'm going to spill the grape juice all over myself. The pews, have you seen the pews? Our church is trying to not waste money, and so therefore these pews are just falling apart until we get a better price on a pewed replacement type thing. We can, find, we can find all sorts of things to complain about, can't we? But notice something else about this. They're in the desert. They're grumbling against Moses and Aaron, and the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. That's a pretty bold accusation to make against Moses and Aaron, right? You guys, you brought us out here just to kill us. That's the reason that we're here. But notice also their selective memory. When they sit and look at it, they say, We sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. They were slaves. They did not have all the food they wanted. They might have gotten whatever was left over from their master's table or from the family that had them hired. They might have been about the same level as some of the animals, maybe a little bit higher. They did not have all these pots of meat. They did not have all the food they wanted. And there's something I want to teach you here that I think they're dealing with, and it's called selective memory disorder. Selective memory disorder. I'll remember the things I want to remember. I'll rewrite the things historically that I want to rewrite to make them be the way that I think that they should be. 
there may not be such a thing as selective memory disorder. It may not be qualified as that. But they did not have as much as, of anything as they wanted. They were given meager amounts to survive by, and they were slaves seven days a week at the end of a whip, doing whatever the Egyptians told them to do. And they look back, even after God has delivered them and brought them into this new land, God, they look and say, it was so good back then. It was so good back then when we were slaves. We had no freedom. When we didn't have anything, when the only thing we got was at the hand of our masters, that they might happen to do something kind for us. And want to stop and make a parallel to maybe how we do the exact same thing sometime. Because we can look at life now and look back at maybe how life was previously, or maybe we even take it a further step. Maybe we look back and we're tempted the idea grass is greener on the other side. Maybe we look back at our life before Christ and we say, well, it was so good back then because all the friends I had, all the stuff I could do, all these things, and we look at our life before Christ and we fail to remember the the pain that was there, the struggle that was there, the forgiveness that we did not have, the guilt that we lived with. And we do the exact same selective memory disorder that they were doing here. Let me take it a step further. There's sometimes we look at our life and we look at the things that we have in Christ and we say, okay, I, I, I'm living this life and I'm looking around me and it doesn't seem like the world is, has any care whatsoever about who God is. It doesn't seem like the people I work with, the people at my school have any desire to live a moral or godly life whatsoever. And so we start looking at this is too hard. It's so difficult. And we do what the Bible talks about in Revelation. It's tempting for us to lose our first love or leave our first love which is Christ, and when we do that, it distracts us. We start looking at other things. We start looking for things. Maybe there's an easier way. Maybe there's a better way, and maybe that way we think somehow, for some reason, would happen to include life without being faithful to God every day, and Paul writes about this in uh, Romans chapter 1, and he says this. He says, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. And I wonder if that's sometimes our life. If sometime we know God, we know who God is, we've been taught about God, we've learned about God, we've walked with God, but we look at our life and we are living a life that we don't glorify Him, nor do we give thanks for, to Him for the things that are in our life. These people, the Israelites, had just come out of these 400 years of captivity. And they're walking in freedom of life for the first time for all of them. And they're looking it back and they're saying, maybe, maybe life was better when we were slaves. And God is providing for them and they're not glorifying Him nor are they giving thanks to Him. We can be so guilty of the same thing in our lives when we start looking away from God and we start thinking about selective things that we look at in our, in our life. And I know there's reason to worry. I know there's reason to grumble. The economy, it's a real thing right now. It, it is tough for a lot of people, and a lot of us included, when prices keep going up and things just don't seem to look any different. And the money we had, providing for our families we had, the things we were doing becomes a lot more difficult than it was even a few months ago or a few years ago. I don't want to look at that and, and 
kind of minimize it at all or look at things that are difficult or I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the difficult things are in your life right now or the difficulties you may be facing or what's difficult in your work or school or your family. But can I just say that sometimes we need to step back and realize that if we had a change of clothes to choose from this morning, if you got to go to a closet and choose, then you're better off than a decent number of people in the world today. And to realize also that for a lot of people in America, our garbage disposals eat more food than some of the population of the world does today. Sometimes it takes a reality check to step back and look at things and to realize, God, you have been so faithful to me. It may not be the story that I would have written. It may not be the way that I want it to be. But God, you've always been there. You've always been faithful. And God, I want to live for you. So let me say one more thing before we move on. I think the record of this murmuring, grumbling in the Bible actually gives evidence to the truth of the biblical narrative. See, I think if you're going writing a biography, you're going to go through and you're going to write things, be selective, and you're only going to write the best things to see, make the best story that you can. And the fact that the biblical writers include these stories where things aren't so good, and they do the same thing for some of the heroes of the Bible, some of the greatest names in the Bible. They tell about their failures, their shortcomings, their foibles. They don't leave those things out. I think, in my opinion, it adds to the authenticity of the biblical record and shows us exactly what it was like. So let's go back to the text. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down, look at this, fire and brimstone because you guys are grumbling. It's not what it says. I will rain down, look at these words of grace, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Doesn't that tell us about the greatness of our God? Doesn't that tell us a little bit about His character and His love and His patience for us as people as well? What a statement of grace. But let's talk for a second that I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. Because you have probably heard, I've never seen it, I've heard about it raining cats and dogs. I know that it rains sometimes, sometimes we get ice to go with our water to drink as well, and that's a great sort of thing. But it doesn't rain food. It doesn't just fall out of the sky, and yet God is going to take something here and make it rain, not water, but donuts. And He's going to bring bread from heaven for them, manna from heaven that they are going to eat. And look at the ability of God to bring something they've never had in a way they've never seen, in a way we could not imagine because God is a provider. And his resources, God's like, I got warehouses of stuff you don't even know about. I got ways to provide for you you could never dream about. And that's exactly what he does here. So it goes on and says, the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. So God's going to say, I'm going to provide for them, but I'm going to test them in the same way. There's going to be a test here to see, can they do what I've called them to? Can they trust me as their provider? And the test is going to be that they gather it every day and don't gather too much. We're going to read about it here in just a second. So here's verse 5. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. In other words, on the sixth day, which is before the seventh day, which is going to be this day of rest for the Israelites, they're going to go and pick up twice as much as they normally would. So they're going to pick up twice as much as they're going to bring it in. But if they, if they pick up more than they should on the other days, it's going to spoil. 
But on that sixth day, they pick up twice as much, and it's going to last. It's going to be okay. And God's going to keep doing this every day for the next 40 years until they reach the place called Gilgal and go into the promised land. It's kind of like it's ongoing training for them, a reminder that God is good and God is faithful and that God is not going to forget them, that God is going to continue to provide for them every single day. And it reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And you get to the place where it says, give us today our daily bread. Notice it doesn't say, give us today our weekly paycheck. Or give us today everything that we want. Because God's not going to give us everything we want, nor should he. But God is going to give us everything we need. Give us today our daily bread. And this is a reminder that we should never outgrow simple dependence on God. And never forget that we depend on Him and that He is our Father who is faithful and He is so good. Okay, so I wish I could just kind of wipe our minds clean for a second and to realize and think about what this is for food to actually come out of the sky. Because you need to know that food does not normally come down from out of the sky. That's just not a normal thing, yet that is something that God is doing here, and God is going to make that normal for the next 40 years for these Israelites as they are going and needing food and going to have, um, have their needs met. And notice also, this doesn't say this in the text, but we can, we can tell it's true. The bread was nutritious enough, it was filling enough, and we'll read in a second that it actually had good taste that it took care of them, that it sustained them, that it was enough. Because God is not going to provide something that's not going to be everything that we need. So look at verse 6. Still with me? Is this too much going through the text? So verse 6 of this. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? And Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Again, Moses says, Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Okay, a few things about this. Number one, you're going to learn that it's the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. You will know that it's the Lord who provides for you. And you would think they would have known that through all the things they've seen so far. But God's going to show them one more time, I am going to be faithful to you. So you guys in this room this morning that are walking through a hard time, either at school or at work or in your family or with loved ones or in a situation that you find yourself in or you just find yourself being alone, you need to know that God is faithful even in that moment. Sometime it is in the darkest times the light of God shines the brightest. So I heard this week, something I've probably heard before, but you take a flashlight out during the day, and it doesn't do very much. You take a flashlight out at night, and it lights up the darkness. God's brightness will shine in your light, even in the darkest times. So if you're hurting this morning, I want you to know that the, the truth of God and the promise of God is that He is faithful and he is there. If you feel like you're walking alone at Christ at your school, or you feel like you're walking alone at Christ in your family, you need to know that God is faithful, and God is good. And like the Israelites, when they grumbled, 
God responded with goodness. And God's goodness is here for us as well. So, you will know that it is the Lord who gives you the meat to eat. So now meat is brought into this, not just bread, but meat is going to be part of this that God provides for them. And all the bread you want in the morning. He goes through and reminds them, you're not grumbling against Moses and Aaron. You're grumbling against God. You're complaining against the one who's providing for you in the complaints that you are doing. So verse 9, Moses told Aaron, say to the entire, entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And it's almost like they've got to go to the principal's office. Come before the Lord. He's heard your grumbling. You're in trouble. But look at God's provision here in verse 10. Aaron is still speaking to them, and they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. God's presence is going to be with them. God's presence is showing up with them. Verse 11, stay with me. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites and tell them, at twilight you'll eat meat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So if you look at it, what's the purpose of this? What is the purpose of in the evening you'll eat meat and in the morning you'll eat bread but to know that I am the Lord your God because the purpose of God's provision is to further spiritual relation. And as God brings them through this, His purpose is to draw them closer to Him through the daily, close, personal relationship that they would have to know that He is God and to know that when God provided for them and when God provides for us, it's to further our spiritual relationship with Him. So verse 13, that evening quail came and covered the camp. So notice this, they were saying earlier, I wish we'd have died back in Egypt Remember back in Egypt, we had pots of meat, everything we wanted that was there. Now, all of a sudden, God brings enough meat for them to have and didn't just like make them have to go out and get it. It comes to the camp for them where they can go get it and eat it themselves. And yet, God is overcoming their selective memory disorder because he's given them all the meat and the quail come up in the evening, cover the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost, appeared on the desert floor. And so on the ground of the wilderness, there's this dew that comes, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn into this substance. And I know earlier I said, like, donuts, and I know it's a little bit of a stretch because just tiny little stuff now that we realize, but you're going to see that it's white and it's on the ground. In verse 15, when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses says to them, Moses actually explained it, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. So they know bread is coming, but when they see it, they're like, what is it? What is this stuff? I don't know what it is. It's kind of like, who's on first? What's on second? What is it? That's exactly what it is. No, what's it called? What is it? I don't know, but what is the stuff on the ground? What is it? Oh, no, what is it? Exactly. There's confusion here because they don't know what this is. They don't know what to call it. You notice that when God talks about it, He calls it bread from heaven. But it's the Israelites that call it what is it. So the Hebrew word is something like the word mon, which then in the Septuagint, the Greek translation, got transferred into mana, which we transliterate into manna, which is what the word simply means, what is it? And that's what they called the, um, the, the manna on the ground. Verse 16, this is what the Lord commands. Everyone together as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Look at verse 36. It says an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Thank you. That's very helpful to know what in the world that means. 
but you do have some textual notes there probably that, um, depending on what translation you have, that an omer may be a little bit less than two quarts or so as a unit of measurement. So the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little, and when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. So here's the test. Will you trust in God to be your provider? Will you trust in God that when He says He's going to do something, that He will do it? God's promises never fail. And so verse 19, then Moses says to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. The question is, are they going to trust Him in this? Some do, but some don't. So you see in verse 20, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it till morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. And so Moses was angry with them. And I can imagine that you've got this thought, we don't have food, but here's food on the ground. I'm going to go, this is pretty logical actually in my mind, I'm going to go and get some so I've got a little bit stored up for later. I've got a little bit just taken care of because maybe God's not going to provide tomorrow and you wake up that day, what's that smell? What is that? Oh, there's bugs all in it. And you realize that the manna you gathered the day before has now rotted, ruined, whatever it is. But God in His goodness, all they had to do was walk outside of their tent, and there on the ground, God had provided for them the meal for that day as well. Let's talk about a few more things here, because there's a few more things to point out before we're done this morning. So verse 21 says this, each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Okay, so this is kind of an interesting principle here for people who had spent their lives as slaves and had worked all the time. God is going to show them that there's not going to be benefit to sleeping in and being lazy with this life that God's going to bring them to. Now, we can draw a lot of parallels here, and I don't, you may be a morning person, you may be an evening person, you may hate the mornings. When the sun comes up, it's a bad day for you, whatever it is. But I want you to think about the principle that you can learn here that they started the day receiving bread from God. And what if we start our day, whether you start your day early or whether you start your day <laughs> when a lot of people have been up for a lot of hours already, that you start your day receiving bread from God. And maybe it's not a habit of, of Bible study. Maybe it's that you say, before my feet hit the ground today, I'm going to stop and pause and thank God for this day and say, God, whatever you want for me today, I'm going to do it. God, show me the path to walk at school. Show me the path to walk today in life. Show me where you want me to be. I'm not going to live a faithless life today. I'm going to live a life of faithfulness to you. And maybe that's where it begins. It's just a simple prayer as you wake up. But I do know this. If we don't start our day acknowledging spending time with God, our day gets busy, our day gets rushed, we get distracted, and we find ourselves at the end of the day looking back and saying, I've lived today, but I lived today for myself instead of really living today connected and having a daily, close, personal relationship with God today. So in the morning, they gathered it. If they didn't, it melted away and it was gone, and they had no chance to do that. So I want to encourage you. Tomorrow when you wake up, Take a moment to stop and connect with God before your day begins, before you go on with the rest of your day. Look at verse 22. On the sixth day, we're going to talk about this um, six-day thing, gathering the amount. They gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So 
Keep those two words in mind, the Sabbath rest, because the Sabbath has not been talked about here. It's not going to be yet, but God is setting the stage for this Sabbath command that He's going to give them at Mount Sinai. He says, so bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and save whatever is left and keep it until morning. This bread, this miraculous bread that had an expiration date, evidently, does not expire, does not turn bad on the Sabbath or the evening before Sabbath that God promises that He will take care of it for them. Again, God's provision is there. So they saved it till morning. This is verse 24. They saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. In verse 27, it's almost predictable. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Again, they're going to see. They're going to test God in this. I say it's almost predictable because I know us. Because we still want to see if what God said is going to be true. And we still sometimes think, okay, God has told us this, but maybe my way is just a little better. And so I'm going to put a little bit in reserve. Or I'm going to save a little bit back. Or I'm going to hold out in my relationship with God and not go 100% completely in with Him because I just don't know. And God is showing that He will be faithful. So verse 31, the people of Israel called the bread manna. And you get a description here. It was like, it was white, like coriander seed, and tasted like wafers made with honey. Wafers made with honey. Maybe I'm not stretching that donut illustration too far. But if you want to think about it, you think about that this was sweet. And if you look at Numbers 11, it actually talks about this. And you'll find this throughout the Old Testament. You find references back to what God has done in this. But Numbers 11, it talks about, it actually says, that it was from heaven, and the taste of manna was like bread made with fresh oil. Kind of like donuts. You know, God is so good in what He provides that it wasn't this bland, boring, monotonous, tasteless substance that they had to eat. They were later accused of being that. But God gives them something that is sweet, that is good, and that provides for them. So, let me help you understand this a little bit more. So, Numbers 11, there's a lot of things in there that talk about that. It talks about the flavors that they maybe missed from Egypt, but it also talks about, I'm going to just read you a little verse of this. It says, the people went about and gathered it and ground it up in their mills, made it into flour, baked it in pans. They could bake it, they could boil it, and so you could make all kinds of things with this manna. It wasn't just one thing. So maybe you could, like, make this manna souffle, or maybe you'd have manna bread, or you could take it and make manna cotti, or whatever you could do with it, they could take these, this manna and they could turn it into food that was good. Maybe Mrs. Moses had, like, here's 101 ways to make manna and passed it around the camp for everyone to see. But the point is that God has provided, and what God provided was good. So verse 32, we're almost done. Moses said, this is what the Lord commanded. Take a omer of manna and keep it for generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you and eat it in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. It's a spiritual reminder that God wants them to have. To remember his goodness, to remember his provision, to remember his faithfulness in their life. 
you know, Dean talked about spiritual reminders last week, and whether it be a rock that God commanded them to have and take with them to remember Him, whether it be things like communion that we celebrate, whether it be baptism, we have spiritual reminders all around us. We make reminders that are spiritual for ourselves by taking and writing notes in the Bible. You hear something, you learn something, you write a little note in the Bible and encourage you to do that when you, because you go back and look at that later and you're reminded of something that God showed you in that moment. And you get old and you look at it and you can't read what you wrote because it just doesn't show up anymore. It's going to happen to you if you're not that old yet. But those spiritual reminders that you look at and you see that God provides for you. So you go and look in Hebrews 9.4 and you read about where this jar of manna was and that they had preserved it and provided for it, um, that God had reminded them of His good, goodness and His faithfulness. So if you look at this and you look throughout the Bible, you realize that this is not the only place that bread from heaven is mentioned because you look in John chapter 6 as well, and Jesus has something to do with this. So let me close with this this morning. This is going to be on the screen. You can turn to it if you want to. This is going to be verse 30 of John 6, so feel free to look at this and read it with me. So they asked him, this is talking about Jesus, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and as is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So speaking of Moses, Jesus said, this is verse 32, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is going to go back and forth here between a spiritual um, understanding of bread and a physical understanding of bread. And he's saying there is bread that you eat that is physical, nourish you physically, but there is bread that you eat that is going to be for you spiritual nourishment that is going to be bread of life. So skip down to verse 48. And this is this, Jesus, he says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Listen to these words. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So if you see what's happening, you read just before this, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people, and they're sitting there saying, hey, that's great. You fed people one time. Moses did it for 40 years. Can't you do something like that? Can't you take care of things the way Moses did, the way our ancestors provided for? They're wanting him to be like this bread machine, or this food machine that just always takes care of them, and Jesus has some other things to say about that. He says, number one, it's not physical bread that you need. It's spiritual bread that you need. And can I say this morning for all of us, it is the it it is Jesus that we need in our lives. It is the bread of life that we need to sustain us every single day. And Jesus is going to say, number one, understand something. Moses didn't do anything. God did something. God's the one that provided the food in the desert. Number two, the manna was physical food, but everybody that ate that has died because the physical food doesn't last past life. It's going to end and has no eternal value whatsoever. But then number three, Jesus is saying, True spiritual nutrition has nothing to do with a loaf of bread, but it has everything to do with a living person. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In this world, it's going to leave you hungry, but Jesus will never fail. 
Because you see, everything this world offers and everything the world has, the meaning of this, the things they're going to offer is going to fail. It's going to end up short. It's not going to last. And so Jesus says to the woman at the well of Samaria, if you drink this water, you're going to thirst again. But the water I give you, you will never be thirsty. The bread of life, you'll come to me, you will never hunger. It is Jesus Christ who will not fail. It is Jesus who is the bread of life. So if we look at what's happening here in the Old Testament, this bread is actually a type of Christ showing what Jesus is going to do in the future, that he will fulfill what God has intended for him to do. And this bread of life is a free gift to everyone who would receive it. But just like the Israelites didn't just open their mouth and the bread just fall, they had to go gather it, they had to receive it. We receive Christ, we receive the forgiveness that God has offered us. So when you think your situation is so dire that there's nothing you can do but complain, we've all been there. We'll all be there again because our short-sightedness will cause us to be there. But God in His faithfulness will remind us in that time of His goodness in the exact same way that He reminded the Israelites of His goodness in those days. And so when we forget to be grateful for the freedom we have in Christ, or we forget the true gift of salvation that comes because of Christ and forget what God has provided for us, or if we forget that God really cares for us or that He is really there or wonder what He's doing, the Holy One reminds us. He's already trekked through the desert places. He's providing for us and he will continue to do so. And the manna that he gives, these breadcrumbs of grace on our life, and his goodness and his faithfulness so we can find our way. And maybe we don't know how to make it to next year, but God will help us to make it to tomorrow. And he promises to be faithful today. So we're reminded of God's faithfulness through this next song that James is going to Help, us, help lead us in and guide us through. And as we sing this song, let it be a song of worship about God and His faithfulness. And let me remind you that all of us in our walk with Christ are all in different places. But at this church, we love you. And we want to help you. We want to encourage you. We want to say, take that next step with faith. Continue loving God. And we want to be there to surround you when you need help as well. So all of our shepherds, all of our ministers, and so many of us in this room, Love you and care about you. And if you need something, let us know. And we'll always, always, always be there to help you.